The words of our scripture for today, they're both practical in nature, but they're also very, very spiritual. And they speak about the tendency that each of us, you and I have, to judge other people, to judge other people. As you and I observe the questionable behaviors and the attitudes of other people, there's this natural inclination within each of our hearts to immediately make a value judgment of those people and of their conduct, their behaviors. But as we do that, it seems often that some other person near us would say to us, we're not supposed to judge people. The Bible tells us not to judge those other people. And folks, that's true. That is very true. The Bible does tell us not to judge other people. But the question is, do we rightly understand what the Bible is really telling us about that inclination within our minds that some call judging? As strange as it might sound, I believe that our inclination to judge is probably one of those parts of God's image, one of those attributes of His character that God has intentionally allowed to remain within our hearts and minds even after the fall of man into sin and then even after we have been saved in this life. Yes, the ability to rightly use that attribute and to make right and righteous value judgments of other people. It's been corrupted right along with all the other parts of our nature. But even so, I do believe that God has considered that this thing that some call judging is necessary. It's a necessary attribute to be left remaining within us in order to help us in the making of our daily choices and decisions. But again, with that being said... God does require us to be very careful in the way that we use that attribute. Our sinful nature being as corrupt to its core as it is, it does often go astray of God's intended purposes. And so he tells us here in these words, very simple words, Luke chapter 6 verse 37, he tells us to judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Let me say this all again. The nature and the inclination of our heart to judge another person, to judge their value, their worth, their abilities, the intents of their words and behaviors and attitudes, they can cause us real difficulties, both in our own heart and in the lives of the ones that we're judging. Here in these words of this scripture passage, the Lord Jesus is giving us a strong and direct command against judging others. He tells us simply that we should not judge anyone. And he also gives us those same instructions over in Matthew chapter 7. There he tells us to judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Note in those words carefully that Jesus adds a warning that there will actually be penalties that will be put back up on our own head if we cross that line and if we begin to wrongly judge other people. 
And so you and I must guard our responses because often they are so immediate. We need to guard our responses carefully lest we find ourselves in trouble, both with God and also with those people that we're judging. But with all that being said, the matter of judging others and our understanding of the meaning of it all is not as simple a thing as some might consider it to be. There are times and there are circumstances that demand that you and I be very cautious about the actions and the behaviors of other people. And that can look an awful lot like we're judging them. That can look an awful lot like we're judging them. But folks, when we are personally involved with those people and with the choices that they are making, we really do need to decide whether we should remain a part of their plans and their behaviors. And that means that we need to stop and carefully evaluate those people, their intentions and their behaviors. And so as you and I encounter instructions such as these about not judging people, we need to stop first and ask the Lord what He, the Lord, really means with His words. And also, how are we to apply these words, these instructions in our daily lives? Unfortunately, too often within the culture of our day, words, words such as this, they'll take on current meanings, new meanings, different meanings than what God intends. They're not exactly what God meant when He gave us these instructions. And and folks, that's one of the reasons why I want to encourage you, as I have so often, to read these scriptures daily. Daily. It's the only way that God will be able to speak His truths and His meanings into our hearts and minds. As for this matter of judging others, does Jesus mean that as we observe the conduct and the behavior of other people, that we are never to question and make determinations as to the rightness or wrongness of those people's actions and their behaviors. I have had very devout, long-time Christians tell me those exact words. But is that what God intends? Are these words to apply to every venue of our life? Our families, our churches, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, Does Jesus mean, listen, does Jesus mean that we are not to even examine the behavior of our own children and make determinations about the rightness or the wrongness of their behaviors so that we might teach them to be and to have more godly behaviors? Are we being commanded to turn a blind eye to obviously errant and ungodly behavior on the part of leaders? whether they be our nation's leaders, our church leaders, pastors, deacons, elders. In our workplaces, are we to abide with any form of aberrant behavior and business practice in order to not be found judgmental? Again, what does Jesus really mean with his words? How rigidly are we to apply his words? And to what extent do we take their meanings? As we stop to ask God for his answers to these questions today, may we begin with a basic truth that must be applied. And that truth is that God's word will never conflict with itself. 
what God says in one portion of Scripture does not conflict with what he says in other portions of Scripture. So I'll say it again. God's word will never conflict with itself. In other words, these commands from these scriptures that tell us not to judge one another and the commands that tell us to recognize wrong behavior in our children and to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they do not conflict with each other. And the commands in scriptures that tell us to examine our church leaders, to hold them to higher standards, they do not conflict with these commands not to judge. And the commands in these scriptures that tell us, on the one hand, not to yoke ourselves together with unbelievers, whether that be in marriage or work relationships or friendships, it does not conflict with this command not to judge them. And the commands in these scriptures that tell us to love not the world, neither the things of this world, but instead to come out from this world and be separate from it. It does not conflict with the command that Jesus gives here not to judge. The dilemma that we face with understanding these very contrasting words is one that can't be easily resolved. Folks, in fact, you and I will never on our own, be able to adequately understand the meaning of these words and those other words that seem to have conflict. Our minds are simply too small. They're too small to understand God's intentions. But listen, we must take heart and understand that all of that is by God's purposeful design. God does not intend for you and me to be able to comprehend all of these matters on our own. Listen, he wants to be the one who comprehends them for us, in us. Those words that I read to you from Ezekiel. He puts a new spirit within us to make this comprehension effective. The truth of all this is so clearly given to us in another portion of Scripture also. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These are words that I've shared with you often, but I want to share them with you today because they are so appropriate to what we're talking about here. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. He tells us there, We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Folks, we have so many people speaking what they call truth to us in our national media. These words that I just read to us, they warn us about that. He says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But listen, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of that man which is in him? 
Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive those things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. But listen, because they are spiritually discerned. These matters are spiritually discerned. We cannot think them out. The Holy Spirit needs to discern them within us. This matter of judging others. These words that I just read to us tell us clearly that our natural means of understanding cannot, cannot comprehend the things of God. That spiritual truths are only spiritually discerned. God's Spirit, who lives within those of us who have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, He reaches into our own spirit and He discerns that truth for us. So then, as we examine these simple words that we're studying here today, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. In rightly understanding God's meaning of these scriptures, by His Spirit within us, we can know with a certainty that as we carefully remain within His will in our thinking, we can then tread into otherwise uncertain areas of understanding with a confidence that will not violate God's purposes and His intents. And so, yes, we can. And we must make necessary decisions regarding the behavior and the conduct of other people. But at the same time, still remain within God's will. But then how are we to do that? How are we to do that? How do we properly discern the actions and the behaviors and the conduct of other people without wrongfully judging them? Again, the answer to our questions, they rest within the words that I just read. The answers are provided for us within our own heart and soul and mind through a special unction of God's Holy Spirit. Our part then is to yield our heart and our soul and especially our emotions. We are emotionally driven daily. So we have to yield, to surrender our hearts and our souls and our emotions and humbly listen for God's special unction. And He'll do that. Remember those words that I quote to us so often from 1 Corinthians 10, that He will provide us an escape. He will warn us ahead of time. Anytime that we encounter a sin... But folks, listen, before that will ever be able to take place, especially on a regular basis within our hearts, you and I need to do a thing that I've exhorted us to do on so many occasions. And that is, you and I have to allow our Christianity to progress on past just being a simple set of rules and guidelines that we try our best to live by. Unfortunately, That is the Christianity within so many of our churchgoers today. They look at our scriptures as simply being a set of rules and guidelines that they need to try their best to follow. 
But listen, good principles are good. But by themselves, they are not God's intent for us. And they simply will not work. God's intent, folks, is that our religion, this Christian religion of ours, that it be an intimate love relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. That's where it has to begin. And Jesus said those exact words to us when this person asked him, what is the greatest of all commandments? Jesus said to him, the greatest of all commandments is this, that you love me. That you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then that you love others as I love them. And to love others as you love yourself. And you'll note in those words, you'll note in those words that they speak nothing about following guidelines and principles. They speak instead of a deep and intimate love for the person of Jesus Christ. And folks, that kind of love can cause a judgmental spirit to simply go away or to not rise up to begin with. And also, you and I must intentionally reach on forward, intentionally, to love those who are sometimes difficult to love. Our friends, even. Our enemies, our neighbors, our co-workers, our children, our husbands, our wives. When we do that, then our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors will change towards them. They'll change. God promises that. But again, to be able to do that, our spirit must be filled with God's spirit. And if and to the extent that God's spirit is allowed that free reign within our own spirit, that is the extent to which we'll be able to overcome those natural emotional responses that flare up so quickly. And we'll be able to begin to discern God's intentions and His desires for those other people. So what then should our response be as we are confronted with matters and circumstances that provoke us to judge another person? Listen, the first thing is you and I must understand that we do not have the authority or the privilege to be a judge of another person. We simply are not in the position and authority and privilege to be a judge of another person. A judge is a person who's endowed with the position and the authority to sit in a seat of judgment. A person who not only made the law, but has the authority then to determine if that law is being violated. You and I don't know whether or not God's laws are being violated all of the time. We have our opinion, but so often... Our opinions are clouded. And so a judge has to be the one who is in authority to determine if that law is being violated. And folks, listen, the judge's authority, listen, this is so important. A judge's authority does not end with simply making discernments about a matter. It extends on into carrying out the proper punishment for that violation that has taken place. A judge effectively has the power and the authority to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And that, folks, unfortunately, is most often the process that takes place within your and my mind as we judge one another. And that is what Jesus is not allowing us to do. Who among us has the position and the authority to be a judge, jury, and executioner over another person? None of us. Ultimately, listen, ultimately only Christ alone has the authority to judge people. Jesus was that great lawgiver. 
And because of that, he and he alone has the authority to judge and to carry out penalties. And at the end of time, listen, Christ alone will sit as judge of all the earth. That verse that we sing in the hymn. There will come a time when God calls it all to a close. And Christ will sit in the seat of judgment. And he will judge everyone on the face of the earth. And each one of us, you and I, will stand before him. And we'll be judged. But with all that being said, what about all of those other people and circumstances that we spoke about a moment ago? What about all those moments throughout our day in which we are required to make needful forms of discernments and decisions concerning them? Our children. Matters regarding our children. Other family members. Co-workers. Our employers. Employees who work for us, our neighbors, church leaders, and on and on. The truth regarding all those people and those circumstances is that yes, yes, God does allow and He even requires that we make determinations regarding their actions and their behaviors. And He further requires us to act upon those determinations. There is, however, limitations to the boundaries of our response. And that's where we have our difficulty. Yes, we're to know when someone is doing something wrong, but there are limitations to the boundaries of our responses. And folks, no. No, we are not to gather with kindred spirits and make scathing judgments and gossipy remarks about those people. We do that so often. It only takes one of us in a group to say something, and then we all gather with them in a chorus of scathing remarks, judgments, gossipy remarks. I say that because I have found myself in those crowds. And folks, I don't want to be in that crowd anymore. I don't want to be the one who initiates that gossip, and I don't want to be one who follows up and commiserates with those folks in the group. Listen, if we have no real reason to be considering a person's conduct and behavior, then we simply should not busy ourselves with it. That goes for people that we know up close, but it also goes for those politicians that we love to hate. Folks, we should not hate them. We should not gather in a group and deliver scathing judgments and gossipy remarks about our politicians. But now, yes, in matters such as with our own children, folks, we are without hesitation to observe and to recognize whether our children are acting in an appropriate and godly manner. We're not to condemn them for their errant behavior. We are to instead train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And yes, In other matters, like within our employment, if we're charged with the responsibility of supervising other people and their work efforts, and I had that responsibility for the majority of my working life, I supervised other people, and I had to make determinations about them. I had to determine whether or not they were doing the job that they were asked to do and the quality of their work. God requires us to do that rightly as supervisors. And yes, we're also to observe and recognize within our neighbors and our co-workers if they have sinful behaviors. But listen, our response must be to pray earnestly for them. And so often, we don't want to do that. That doesn't seem like enough. 
We want to cause them to change. But the Lord has said to us that He'll take care of that part. He wants us instead to pray earnestly for those. And yes, when the opportunity presents itself, you and I are to witness the truth of God to them. But that doesn't always take place. It takes place seldom in some cases. But it should always be, listen, this is so important. It should be for the intent of reclaiming them back to the paths of God. That's the only intent that we should have. And that's also true in our churches. If we observe and we recognize that some of our church brethren, even our church leaders, are conducting themselves in a sinful manner. Matthew chapter 18 gives us an excellent set of directions for those kinds of circumstances. But we also always have to remember that we don't get to carry out the punishments or whatever. That is delegated to certain members of the leadership of a church. Matthew 18 is very clear on that. And folks also, as for governmental leaders, we are to recognize when our governmental leaders are behaving wrongly. And many of them do. But our response must be to pray for them, not to condemn them. Remember, folks, the success of our governmental leaders is the success of our nation. And we should want that and we should pray for them in those circumstances. It does neither us nor others any good to simply sit and gossip and complain, becoming the judge, the jury, and the executioner of those who are doing wrong things. Yes, the folks that we observe, they may be doing very wrong things. But listen, the, the boundary line that is delegated to you and me by the Lord ends with mercy and grace. It ends with mercy and grace. We are to mercifully discipline our children. We're to mercifully carry out our responsibilities as bosses in a workplace. We are to mercifully go about being a good voter in a voting booth. We're to pray and beseech God to have mercy on each one that we see in sin, whoever they may be, and we are not to condemn them. Folks, God will take care of the condemnation in the days of final judgment. You and I are not allowed to take part in condemnation of another person. So then, knowing our boundaries and our limitations, I want to urge each of us to be filled with God's Holy Spirit so that we can show forth mercy and grace and we can be careful not to judge. Listen to these words and we'll close. Verse 37. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Let's pray.